0: Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life.
1: Hello there, listeners. After over two years of recording and 80 plus episodes, I am elated to announce that Enduro Bearings has agreed to become a supporter of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. This is a double win for you, the audience. You have the opportunity to demonstrate your support of the show by making a purchase on the website cycling.endurobearings.com and you get to save some dollars while you trick out your whip. Use the code COLBYPODCAST to receive a 35% discount on any of Enduro Bearings' excellent products. That's Podcast which is all lowercase and all one word. This includes the excellent XD15 ceramic bottom bracket, which is guaranteed for life. That means it may outlive you because, well, it's inanimate. Enduro also makes headsets, derailleur pulleys, as well as bearings for just about everything that rotates on a bicycle. So use your digits to make the keyboard mudras and head over to cycling.endurobearings.com and upgrade your favorite ride now. And remember, the proper number of bicycles is always N plus one, so think ahead. Thanks for listening. Hello there, space monkeys. Welcome to another episode of Cycling and Alignment. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm only here briefly to introduce myself. I've recorded an interview with my colleague in the check system, Karina Krepp and we posted it on her YouTube channel or rather she did and her YouTube show is called The Holistic Movement and in this discussion Karina asked me all kinds of questions about the impacts that cycling has on our posture and hopefully you don't find this topic old and washed out at this point I think there's lots to unpack so I continue to unpack it on this episode in my discussion with Karina and I hope you find it useful. Thanks as always for listening and as we journey into the next 100 episodes, I appreciate your audience-ness. If you have comments about this podcast, you can try and reach me on Instagram, although their messaging system is in my experience horrendously and notoriously unreliable. But let's give it a shot. You can also track me down through my website. That's colbypierce.com. You can also learn more about my coaching services at teamefcoaching.com. I'm one of the coaches in that stupendous program, and I also direct the amazing, talented staff we have there. So that's the lay of the land. Thanks for listening. As always, pedal consciously, pedal quickly, and enjoy this discussion with Karina Krepp on the Holistic Movement. Welcome
0: to the Holistic Movement Show. My name is Karina. We are live on Bull Brave TV every Monday at three o'clock. Today, you are so lucky to be with us because I am really excited about this show. If you're a cyclist, or if you have ever been interested in cycling and you want to know how it will help you and what you need to do to kind of balance out the cycling in your life, this is the show for you. I would like to say that we have a deeply knowledgeable cycling professional cycling instructor and he's so you've never met anyone who's done as much deep diving on this topic as our guest today colby pierce welcome to the show
1: thank you karina so it's my pleasure i'm
0: so happy to see you okay so let's i just i you have lots of information to impart with us about cycling itself and it's really important information stuff that um even with my knowledge of the body and the systems i never really together, and you have not only clicked it, but you've done it for hundreds of people. But just quickly, Colby, bring us here on um, Fast Forward. How did you start this journey yourself, and how did you end up here?
1: Uh, so fast forward, let's see, quick version. I've been riding and racing bikes for about 35 years. Um, discovered it when I was 15 years old. Kind of felt like I got hit by lightning at my first bike race, knew that was my path. Yeah. So then I went home and uh, shaved my legs at the age of 15. My stomach was <laughs> quite shocked at that little adventure. Um, bought all the Lycra, did all the things, became a bike dork, and here I am.
0: Bike dorks, there, I...
1: Yes, exactly, yeah, that's me. So um, ended up racing professional for about 15 years uh, in Europe, on the track mostly. Uh, in the US, I rode professional on road, track, mountain, and cyclocross disciplines, and ended up attending world championships eight times as an athlete, twice as a coach, wow. and also managed to make the Olympic games team in 2004 in Athens. So that was
0: unbelievable. What a beautiful journey. Experience. So you've been on all the surfaces. You really, you've trained yourself and others for all kinds of variations of cycling. And now you, that's your whole life. You're dedicated to life on the bike um, mm-hmm. through what you do off the bike to improve mm-hmm. life on the bike. So talk to us about how, let's say that it's me. right? I dabble in the cycling and I'm starting to wonder, Hey, is it okay? I have, you know, I'm recovering from an injury. I don't want to run anymore. I'm just becoming a cyclist. How do you start people off or where do you begin? If people say, Oh, I'm interested in getting into that.
1: That's a great question. So, you know, first I would look at their athletic history. I would look at their injury history, of course, and take those into consideration. And we have to sort of evaluate what type of athletic or movement practice uh, an individual has had, if they want to start cycling because that'll play a role in how the outcome of their cycling sort of manifests, right? We have to use our crystal ball a little bit as health practitioners and sort of imagine where someone might end up. And if they've got, for example, chronic knee problems, it's quite common for people to come from running with a lot of chronic knee stuff. And their doctor or therapist will say, hey, maybe you should get into cycling because it's, of course, lower impact. That's great. However, we can invite other complications and challenges down the road if we're not a little cautious about how we prescribe our cycling or, as you mentioned, how we recommend a, a holistic program to help counterbalance the movement patterns that are generated during cycling.
0: Yeah, the other thing that I would just want to say out loud because you're going to start talking in a way that makes it really clear, but obviously Colby Pierce, if you haven't figured it out yet, is also a Czech integrated movement specialist. So he takes the best of the strength and conditioning, you know, on land and moves that knowledge into the bike and balances athletes to be the best at both. Right to live without pain, but to continue in the sport that you have a great passion for and that you love.
1: That's right. It's all about helping the client achieve their dream goal or objective, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. Okay. So now we started with, like, I say to you, I just, I just actually, I'm just going to be a cyclist. That's all I want to do. What do I need to do to create that dream?
1: Well, so first I would start by educating you about the idea that just being a cyclist will, if you're sedentary, maybe you're on the couch, you're not exercising, maybe you're overweight, maybe not your metabolic rate is probably running pretty low. Your engine's not really idling too high. So mm-hmm. you're gonna start cycling, that's great. Your general health will increase with that cycling. No question, it'll go up and up. But if you only cycle over a long enough timeline, then you're gonna start to obtain what I would refer to as sports specific movement patterns, right? or sports specific muscle compensations. And that okay. what that means is you slowly start to look like you're in the cycling position all the time. And if you keep riding, especially if you're doing high duration riding or a lot of high intensity riding or a combination of both, and you keep doing it over a long enough timeline, then your health can actually start to decline because of course you begin to uh, experience some of those challenges, right? And so that's what we're going to unpack today.
0: Yeah. So bike dorks unite, (laughs) but you can maybe spot them right? Maybe, you know, it's just like, um, do you play tennis? How did you know, (laughs) right? This is cycling. If it's your one, if it's your only sport, if it's where you find your love, your meditation, your passion, and you don't counterbalance it with other things in the world, you might begin to take on the shape that you take on during the sport. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
1: That's a, that's a great way to look at it. We've all probably had that experience where we've been in the grocery line at at our local market and we've looked over and seen someone dressed in normal clothes but immediately we recognize that cycling posture.
0: Right, right, exactly. And you know, I say to my clients all the time, uh you look like what you do. So, mm-hmm. if you want to look like Michael Phelps, right? right. Then you got to get in the pool, you got to start pulling yourself forward through the water with your arms, right? If you want, to, you know, one of the beautiful things about cyclists is lean frame, right? Really mm-hmm. beautiful cardiovascular ability but off the bike do you still look like you're on the
1: bike right right and so have what? you mm-hmm. have you chronically developed that aerobic base that that aerobic engine at the expense of functional strength you know can For you sure. climb a mountain, mountain
0: more about that Colby talk to us
1: so can you climb a mountain but then you go to lift your bike onto your roof rack and put your arms overhead with a 18 pound carbon fiber bike, which doesn't weigh that much, but is a little awkward to pick up. I was
0: my bike weighs more than that, but okay.
1: <laughs> so you're, that's okay. You're conditioning the upper body in the process, right? So we have to be able to function in regular life, lift our groceries into the back of our car, right? Uh, pick up a small child or maybe a medium sized child, depending on what size your pets are. I don't know if you're a a Bouvier or a german shepherd owner or a chihuahua owner but we've got to transport our animals pick up objects mow lawns all these types of things so when we when we really try to focus or when we fall in love with cycling the tendency can be to have a heavy emphasis on aerobic conditioning and sagittal plane movement which is this movement of course in this plane right like running and walking and that makes you a very one dimensional athlete, a very one dimensional person. And it tends to limit your range of movement and tends to limit the ability to generate peak force, which is a fancy, slightly fancy way to say, pick up heavy stuff and we all need to pick up heavy stuff from time, time to time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know, we're happy to be traveling again. And so there you go. You're at the, you know, no one else is going to pick up your luggage for you. Right. So you have to be able to lift it, twist with it, put it up on stuff without getting yep. injured, right? You want to keep cycling. You can't hurt yourself while you're traveling. Okay. I love this idea. And I love how you're already framing this up that none of us can do only one thing and be well-rounded enough for life. And and I love that word functional because it's just that, right? It's just getting around in life, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I live in New York City. I live on the 13th floor. When the power goes out, can I get home with my groceries, right? Yeah. Exactly. Example. Okay. So now, so now you have athletes coming to you saying, listen, I've only got one hour a day. I only want to do it on the bike. Right. Yep. Cause that's all the time in my day that I have for my physical activity. How do you break up their time for them? What kind of, how do you, what do you insert before, um, require as a must do, and then how much time you give them on the bike?
1: Right. Well. So this gets into the nuance of coaching, right? Because we have to meet our client where they're at. So if someone comes to me and they've got a very rigid mindset and they're telling me I'm going to ride my bike six days a week for one hour and that's it. And it's yeah, very, very rigid, very, um, structured the, the way they're thinking. And you can read their body language and understand the tone of their voice and how they're looking at you. Then it's like, okay, so I'm going to make, take a moment to educate them that I don't think this is probably a choice that's going to serve them in the long term. But I'll work with them and I'll offer them, I'll start planting seeds, right? And it's like, okay, I know you wanna ride your bike six hours a, a week for one hour to pop, but I think in the future it's gonna serve you better to trade in one of those hours or maybe an hour and a half a week for some off the bike movement that's going to counterbalance your cycling movement patterns. And then you're going to be able to enjoy your cycling more. And maybe they tell me to go climb a tree and that's okay. Uh, you know, I'm here to work with the client. And there's that subtle balance between giving them what they uh, telling what they want and then giving them what they need, I love and that. we have to surf that line right. So
0: give you what you need. Well, in case you haven't figured it out already, Colby Pierce is an excellent coach. Not only having a wonderful professional career himself, if you want to hear more about the bike and specifically what you'll need to counteract if you spend a lot of your week on your bike, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Holistic Movement Show. We are here live with Colby Pierce. He is a professional cyclist. He is also now a professional coach. He's talking to us about cycling. If it's your passion, you're gonna wanna listen in. So we're talking now about what happens on the bike, how that translates, to the rest of your life. Talk to us about a professional cyclist like yourself who's been at it since he was 15 years old. What, Without intervention, what would happen to the body if cycling was your one, your only, your true passion?
1: So there are several kind of categories of things that tend to happen to the human body over time when we ride bikes a lot, but probably the most recognizable aspect and one of the most detrimental is what we call upper cross syndrome and i'll turn sideways so i can kind of show you as we go here but upper cross syndrome is sort of like mr burns on the simpsons so (laughs) right what happens is his his upper spine the thoracic spine will go into flexion around forward and also the shoulders are no longer in a neutral position they're protracted and reaching for those handlebars and then of course because you're hinged at the hip on the bike Then as we're looking down the road, we have to put our face closer to vertical and we've got the weight of the helmet on our head. And so we end up with this sort of buzzard shape to our neck, right? And that can develop forward head posture. So we have all these things sort of working to distort the normal relationships of our muscles, the length tension relationships of our upper, uh, our chest muscles and our upper back muscles. And it twists everything over time and causes these postural compensations and it
0: doesn't feel comfortable i mean i was you know it's funny because on the bike it feels required but as i mm-hmm. just took on that shape now sitting here i think well that's insane right
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's crazy yeah. thing. okay so so we see why it happens we're reaching for the handles we're needing to see the road ahead of us we're rounded through the upper spine so that we can generate some force right mm-hmm. so now over time, we were kind of joking about, you can tell in in the grocery line, but now over time, people actually never remove, they get off the bike and they still look like they're on the bike.
1: Yep. They're stuck in that position. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So how do you help people?
1: So there's a few different things. Um, the first is always education, right? So I, when I work with someone in my bike fit studio, where I examine their position on the bike, I would start by just simply taking video of them and showing them i just do it really simply i use my ipad and i just say hey here's what i see what do you see and the beauty of that is that a lot of people have never seen themselves ride a bike so they look and immediately they recognize that flexed spine and they say oh wow i didn't realize i was sitting with that posture and so that's the first part of education we're all such visual creatures right i mean athletes are probably highly kinesthetic on average but also everyone's got a high degree of visual um capability to learn visually, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's one of the best ways for us to take information. So I show them that I say, okay, this is what I'd like to focus on. So we educate and I instruct the athlete on stretches they can use to help re, uh, realign the postural compensations that have occurred through cycling, right? So one of the more common ones is the pec minor gets short as that shoulder's in that forward-rotated protracted position. So we stretch the pec minor, which allows the shoulder to return to a more neutral, stable position. Right. As Paul says, the definition of posture is an optimal instantaneous axis of rotation for any joint. So if your shoulders pulled forward all the time, then it can't deal with load. It can't support the torso properly, not as optimally as it should be able to. So we, we stretch the muscles that are really, we call them, um, short and tight classically or hyper facilitated. And then we strengthen the muscles that are longer or weaker or are inhibited. And in the case of upper cross that might be the rhomboids in the the upper back, right? To get those shoulders to allow them to have the stability to pull back into a more neutral position.
0: All right, so so, so for the longer, looser ones, you're kind of doing some kind of retraction work through the scapula or
1: yep. something like yep. that? Yep. Good. yep,
0: yep, yep. All right, so also, now we got the, we got the pecs a little stretched out, so the shoulders yep. are neutral. We're strengthening the muscles, so the scapula is setting closer to the spine. I'm feeling a little yep. better through my heart here. I feel like, oh, I can breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So now, what else? So we're also opening, that's the perfect segue, we're opening the thoracic spine. We're taking it out of this curved, flexed position, and we're opening, so we're bringing the heart and the... Anterior aspect of the ribs the front ribs out and we're opening them right because we tend to ride in this Closed position where the chest is sort of sunken and collapsed So we want to open here so you can do that by rolling uh, Your spine out on a foam roller either in the horizontal or vertical orientation. You can use a stability ball You can use a heavy ball though. Those are a little rigid I prefer something a little softer like a squishy ball or maybe a volleyball if you don't have that kind of stuff at home Um, so anything that's that's soft and supportive and will open the spine. We just don't want anything too rigid where, you wanna, where you'll want where you end up bruising the, the kind of bony parts on the back of your spine, right? And- I'm so just fortunate- like, a,
0: like a guy who doesn't have a lot of body fat, I just would like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us don't really have to worry so much about that, but okay.
1: <laughs> For those of us on the bonier end of the spectrum, we have to worry about these things, yeah. So uh, less muscle to protect the bones. Yeah. So that's another aspect is definitely opening that chest. And then the other important aspect is dealing with the neck. So what we have is a situation where the neck extensors here on the backside are really locked up and tight from carrying the weight of that head. And especially when we put that helmet on, it just holds everything kind of down, gives you that weight. So these muscles get really, um, over right. Hyper facilitated. And the conversely, the muscles on the other side of the neck, these are the neck flexors they become long and really not very active. Mm -hmm. So we can do some neck stretches, right? Where we're gently pulling on those neck muscles and working with those. One point of caution is it's not quite the same as stretching most other muscles in your body. These muscles are highly innervated. So we only want to hold the stretch for about six or eight seconds at the most, and then let things chill out. Um, That's the best way to work with those muscles. But you can do uh an exercise where you're dropping the chin and extending these muscles and kind of using your your hands and arms to help with that and sometimes i ask clients to get in there and they do that and immediately they're really um, impressed by how tight and knotted up these muscles can be right i also like to use a foam roller or i even have a kind of a knobby roller with a light texture on it it's called the gator and i use that to get into some of my my neck muscles here, and I love that roller. It just really works magic. So sometimes yeah. you have to find the right texture to help um, break up those myofascial adhesions, right?
0: You told me about that years ago, and I, I've really been happy with that uh, addition to my
1: little,
0: oh, literally my That's little take along bag. It's, that was a good, good bit. And we, you know, oh, we don't good. get paid for any of that. It's just stuff that works, right? You find what works.
1: Yeah. Okay. Using so now job.
0: We, we got t- basically two b- major areas that we are fixing, but we got to take a quick break when we come back. If you want to learn more about how to fix your posture so that you look better on and off the bike stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the holistic movement show. We are diving deep into the land of cycling and how your body needs support. If it's your favorite sport. All right, Colby, we're just, we did the thoracic spine. We're talking just before we had to go on break about kind of resetting the posture Mm -hmm. at the head and neck to counter your time on the bike, right? And I think it's really important that we talk about it's you know, if you get off the bike and you have beautiful neutral posture, but we're talking about over time. And one thing that I think we were just talking about on the break is my friends, if this is how you do your morning fitness, and then this is how you do your work, everything is going to get worse much, much more quickly. So ergonomics, do you discuss that just briefly with your clients? You kind of go, so by the way,
1: I do. Or, yeah. 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 It's an important point because if you have someone who's sitting in a desk, um, in particular, if they've got a traditional corporate job, they're in a cubicle, or maybe they just have a, a desk cause they're a higher up, but they're sitting all day long and then they go get on the bike. I have to have this point that lands really landed really powerfully with me when I first heard it, which is if sitting is the new smoking, I've got bad news for you because cycling is just more sitting which is a little bit brutal because of course, we're not just sitting on a couch and we're riding our bikes. We're doing lots of good for our bodies, right? We're working our muscles. We're raising our metabolic rate. We're working our aerobic system. We're, you know, helping um, stress hormones be dealt with all those things uh, be normalized. So those are all positive effects of exercise. However, we have to recognize that the cycling posture is very similar to poor desk posture. And really when you're driving anything, if you're driving a car, driving a desk, driving a plane, Driving a bike, right? (laughs) These (laughs) postures tend to sort of all the driving is not good for us. Um, So we have to educate the client about that point. That's important. There's a lot of overlap between upper cross syndrome that can be acquired during daily life, during unconscious postural habits, or poor ergonomics during daily life and cycling. So we don't want to magnify our upper cross by riding the bike more.
0: Right, I love that. Okay, yeah. all right. So, so don't let me stop your flow. We did pecs. We reset the rhomboids. We got the neck extensors and flexors rebalanced. What else do you talk to people about?
1: So that's sort of the, the bigger issues I see in the upper body, and if we address those, it takes care of many of their problems. Um, it, it's also about education. Again, it's about having the rider not down, ride down the road with an extreme angle of neck extension we teach them to we raise the bar sometimes and then we teach Mm. them to drop the chin a little bit and roll the eyes for example so there's some subtleties that happen on the bike that are important um we also make sure their handlebars are the right width so that the shoulder can be neutral right so this This is
0: is important because you do something that i didn't know was a thing until i met you which Mm -hmm. is you're a bike fitter so with all of your intimate knowledge of how the body is moving or not moving while we're on the bike You do exactly this. You fit my body to the frame of a specific bike. And like you said, raise the handlebars makes a huge difference. The length Mm -hmm. of the, the, you know, I don't know what you call it. The distance of the pedal. Right. So, right. So all of those things, this is a fascinating, I mean, because honestly, I can't think of another sport where you are form fitted to the machine. And so If your measurements are off over time, right, things are not going to go well.
1: There are many sports where we interact with machines, but none, arguably as much as on the bike. So the bike has to, it's, there's this interesting tension between making the bike fit the rider, but then if we have someone with really poor technique or poor posture, why would I want to accommodate that on the bike? So then it comes back to education again. So I have to explain to them how they're sitting in their office chair or maybe how they need to get a standing desk and then we examine how that posture hopefully doesn't carry over to the bike and we set the bike up i sort of often use the term wedding dress fit right it's like i can't set the bike up to be a bikini in your perfect self two years down the road we have to set the bike up to be your wedding dress which is in four months right yeah. just a little optimistic for today so it encourages you kind of baits you down the road. But if we go too far, then anyway. So- I love
0: that, it's so great.
1: <laughs> so we have to also look at the posture of the pelvis on the bike. And there's an interesting sort of um, flip-flop that happens. I would say in daily life, maybe you could comment on this. Probably most people who work in a gym environment see more anterior rotation of the pelvis on average than posterior. That's a bit of a guess for me because my user group is obviously skewed towards cycling. Right. I mean, I think
0: pain for for pain. If people who are presenting to me with pain, anterior tilt
1: is is more the, common.
0: Yeah, more common. The posterior tilt is for usually um, moving away from pain, right? Right. So right. they those that posture is some a compensation from an old injury usually is what I'll see.
1: So okay, that's the perfect explanation of cycling and the prevalence of posterior pelvic tilt because the sport has undergone several revolutions in terms of the technology we have. Modern bicycle saddles are much better than old school ones, but old school ones were kind of like sitting on a fence post in a way for both guys and gals. So what are we doing? We're posteriorly tilting our pelvis to get away from pain, right? Literally, if you have a saddle that's kind of kicking you just behind your testicles or in your lady bits, then you wanna roll away from that. And of course, as soon as you roll away from the nose of the saddle your sacrum moves towards vertical and then we have more spinal flexion to get over to the bars so then we move further too far away from a neutral spine right
0: right
1: and then we go we're back to upper cross and we also have all the problems the challenges of dealing with a posteriorly rotated pelvis when we're in that position imagine doing a series of lunges with a posteriorly rotated pelvis you're going to be all quads right you're probably going to be on your toes you can't really engage your glutes you can't drive through the heels so it, it has all these implications about our the way we can make power on the bike and so often i first look at the saddle and say we have to get the right saddle under you for your pelvic shape we have to get it at the right angle so we can allow some anterior rotation so we can start to extend the lumbar spine a little bit keep the sacrum coupled with the lumbar spine, not have too much of a kink in that hose. I tend to think of spines sort of like hoses, right? And hoses do not like to be kinked. So if we've got this flexion point in the lumbar spine where the sacrum is doing this, and then the spine is doing this, that's in my kind of, Ooh, mm-hmm. I really want to avoid that scenario. So we either got to roll the pelvis forward into anterior rotation, or we have to raise the bars, or maybe it's a combination of both, right?
0: I like that. And so as a bike fitter, that's kind of what you're looking at, what this client's potential range of motion is, what their actual range of motion is, and how yes. much we're compensating right now on the bike for <laughs> where they are and what they need to continue moving forward. That's yep. really interesting. I never really even thought about that. But yes, I've ridden on, um, of course, terrible saddles. And that's exactly what happens, You know, even yeah. though it's not how I normally would ride. Let me just ask you, and, and this is just a quick point, um, There are a lot of people who ride, um, but they Peloton talk to us just really briefly about the difference between a a bicycle that you're riding outdoors and a
1: fixed bike. Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the problems that we have with bicycles is that they are machines and this gets a bit into the discussion around strength training and what's optimal. So I could have you do squats with free weights or squats on a Smith machine. And you can squat usually more on a Smith machine. Why? Because the Smith machine is, um, it's enabling you to use your prime movers, your phasic muscles, without using the tonic muscles, the supportive muscles. And so when you train on a Smith machine, you're getting these big muscles really working, but you're neglecting the development of the concurrent tonic muscles. And that means you develop strength in sort of a, a lopsided way, meaning you're not developing the whole system, you're not having to stabilize the weight in space. So bicycles are also machines, which is one of the reasons they tend to be problematic. We we pedal in that sagittal plane and it doesn't require a lot of stabilization to ride a bike until you start to get really tired. But then those stabilizers haven't been trained because you've only been riding your bike. So the step from free weights conceptually to a bike is a step down because we're neglecting to develop the stabilization systems that d- draw that make power on the bike. We make another step down when we go from a bike where you ride outdoors to a Peloton. Why? Because the Peloton bike or any indoor bike you could be talking about, even your bike on a fixed trainer, you can be talking about a Peloton or something similar. They're all the same in the sense that they lock the bike in place. So mm-hmm. now we've gone from a tiny bit of stabilization needed on the out of doors riding, you know, riding over terrain you know uphills downhills going around corners yeah if you're mountain biking you're going over rocks and on trails so we have some stabilization that's happening in that type of riding and we just completely eliminate that so i like to say that indoor riding is um it's equivalent to a niggle magnifier so if somebody has a little knee problem or a back problem and they've kind of been battling it for years on the bike and then they do a really heavy um period of indoor training like happened during COVID for a lot of people all of a sudden that just explodes and comes becomes an issue they have to deal with and now they're facing what paul would say is the pain teacher right um too much repetitive movement in the same exact place and so trainers and pelotons can do that to people so i really caution people from doing too much indoor training like that i think it it uh it can it can be problematic and cause challenge and it Um, increases the need for compensatory, an appropriately designed compensatory movement program relative to outdoor riding. So
0: say that one more time, riding your Peloton makes you need more stability work. You gotta do more time with your free weights at the gym to balance that out. So, you know, my friends, if you have the time and it's not sleeting, Maybe grab your bike and get outside instead of on your Peloton outdoors, sunshine, early morning. There are so many other benefits to getting out of doors, nature. She's out there, breathe the fresh air, get the sunshine on your face. Okay. We need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're just diving deeper. This is the holistic movement show. We're live on bold, brave TV. We'll be right. back. Welcome back to the holistic movement show. My name is Karina. We have the wonderful, the amazing Colby Pierce on the show with us today. We are talking about cycling. it can do for you and the things to guard against so i hope we didn't disappoint you if you're a peloton fan in our last segment but it's good information right so you begin to understand what is the greatest benefit if you have only one hour to dedicate to your movement practice you want to be really thoughtful about what you do and you're going to hire a professional like colby if you're very interested in being a lifelong participant in any kind of sport colby we were before i Got us off piste. We were talking about the hips and how they function or don't function. I thought you were saying something really interesting about generating power on the bike. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that and and how you can help that with the positioning on the bike.
1: So some of the tricky things about cycling are we're we're obviously working the hip right. We're extending the hip and the knee during each downstroke or power phase of the pedal stroke. I call it, which is Think of it as the front half of the pedal stroke. Um, So we're working our hip extensors and our knee extensors, right? So that's glutes and quads, hamstrings, calves. That's great exercise. However, we're not fully extending the knee all the way. We only go to, depending on how your bike setup is, um, somewhere shy of 15 to 20 degrees, short of 180 degrees. And we also never fully extend the hip. The hip is not moving through the full range of motion. Yeah. so we're working the muscles been in a in a, a shortened range and that can be problematic just for all the reasons we've been talking about we want to work our muscles through a full range of motion and if we neglect to do that if we only ride our bike one of the consequences is what's called adaptive muscle shortening and one of the muscles that's most subject to that well two of them are the hamstrings so frequently when I do movement screens I come um, for my bike fitting athletes come in and I ask them to just simply you know, show me a forward bend and touch their toes and their knees are bent at five or 10 degrees, almost automatically ask them to do a, an active straight leg raise. And the same thing happens that to go to end range, they can't do it with a straight knee. And it's because their hamstrings are just holding on for dear life. Cause that's what they know. Um, and the same thing can happen in the hip flexors, right? So as just gets locked down from all that flexed that time inflection. Whoa. Right. And so what are some of the best ways to offset that go for a walk work on long, nice strong, like nice long strides where you're extending the hip behind you, right? Yep. And using that counter rotation of the upper body, that's another thing that we kind of tend to lack in cycling. The lower body is moving, but the upper body doesn't get much of that counter rotation. So walking and even running, if you can tolerate it, well are excellent activities to counteract the, the um lower half movement of cycling you know we have these odd movement patterns in cycling where we do we support ourselves on the bar there's a little bit of push against the bars to support our torso there's a little bit of pulling when you're out of the saddle right the tiniest amount of twisting when you're cornering maybe on a mountain bike and stuff but these really um they're mostly isometric movements there's not a lot of it's not it's certainly not like we're going through the full range of you know a curl or any kind of twist or push it's just not happening so we have to offset that in our strength and conditioning program that's done off the bike
0: i love that so i love two really important things and i'm sure that you guys heard it but it bears repeating you're never going into full extension from neither the hip nor the knee right mm-hmm. and so right. you know and and if you think about i call it old man posture right i love the mr burns <laughs> right. Which has the rounded kyphotic upper spine, but that leaning forward, you know, I'll find some of my triathletes who spend a lot of their time training on the bike because the bike is fun, right? The bike is a machine and it makes you feel strong and powerful. People like spending time on it because as we age, we still feel the speed, right? We, and you know, not for nothing, but most of you cyclists, God love you. You have a little bit of an adrenaline thing that you like. Wind in your face, <laughs> so we love being on the bike. But then I will see not only the kyphotic posture, but when they stand up, they stay leaning forward, yeah. right? So they're never fully standing up. I call it your khaki crease, right? Where your where the front of your pants are when you stand up, my friends that should be flat. Any pleats that you have should be pointing at your toes, not coming across the flexion at the front of your zipper. If you look down, when you stand up and you see a crease across there, it means that your hip flexors are so tight and they are so used to being so short that they need some help. And that is when you hire Colby. (laughs) (laughs) I highly recommend it. Okay. So hips, knees, what will you see when you're fitting someone on a bike? Someone like me, who's an amateur who buys her kind of right size frame, but it was on sale. Um, what, (laughs) what are you looking for to help the athlete be better prepared for long rides or a lifetime of this sport?
1: Mm. So two of the things that I find, um, eventually grow like compound interest into challenges are a lack of pelvic stability and a lack of foot and ankle stability. And
0: what I'm on a pedal, why do I need foot and ankle stability, Colby?
1: Right. Great question. Um, so, okay, let's think about this for a minute. If we're driving our bike, right. Meaning, meaning going hard, we're going up a hill or we're smashing it, going through the park, whatever you're doing, where's that power coming from? What's the origin of that power? It's the hip, right? We're driving from the hip. Some athletes will also drive, uh, dominantly through the knees. Uh, There's actually some science out there that shows us that the more experienced you are at cycling, the more the power actually kind of migrates towards the hip. So entry-level cyclists will tend to put more force into the knees. Um, That could be because their bike setup isn't ideal, possibly. But the sustainable place to generate most of the force is through the hips, right? So we have to have stable hips. And this is a weird quirk of cycling because... The bicycle sort of stabilizes the hip in the sense that there's a fixed distance from the pedal to the saddle or your saddle height right like you were talking about earlier, so that means that. Um, your your hips aren't going to drop down towards your feet you're not suddenly going to be doing this compressed. action, you can stand up out of the saddle and get off the seat and then you get a little more extension, but we don't do that for long periods of time, most of our cycling is done in the saddle or in the seat so while the that distance is fixed the hips can actually rotate or rock in the frontal plane that is the plane you would do a cartwheel in and so when someone has poor pelvic stability meaning their uh lumbar spine their pelvic floor their glute medius glute min aren't activated their adductors and abductors are either tight and overactive or or are loose and not really doing their job the pelvis will rock in that frontal plane every pedal stroke when they make power And that tension will eventually cause some sort of problem somewhere. Um, The common denominator I see as a bike fitter is that instability in the hips. It's really common. Probably 85, 90% of the riders who come through my door have noticeable hip rock in the frontal plane or in the transverse plane or a combination of both where really the hip is sort of following the foot on one side. As the foot goes down in the stroke, the hip follows. So that's the million-dollar question as a bike fitter is, how do I help the athlete with that problem? Because that asymmetry is what drives the dysfunction or pain. The interesting part is that we're all, you know, such individuals like Paul likes to say, God is a novelty generator. People walk through the door, they've got that asymmetry in the hips, but where it shows up is almost infinite. Some people will get excruciating pain under the, the opposite side of the contralateral scapula, right? Some people get it band pain. Uh, mm-hmm. on the side where the hip the opposite side of the hip drop uh some people have chronic knee pain some people have chronic low back pain some people it just shows up. some people have numbness in one hand so it can kind of go everywhere right uh-huh. um, yeah and so that's my little project is to decode all that and try to help the athlete figure that out but the fundamental issue is hip stability mm-hmm. and if the hips are unstable Well, it's likely the feet and ankles are going to be unstable. Those two tend to reflect each other, but also cycling is at a weird position. I don't have one here handy, but you know, cycling shoes are these nice rigid levers. That's what makes bikes so such marvelously efficient machines is that carbon fiber shoe we're using, or at the least like a hard plastic sole. But just like any prosthetic device, a rigid cycling shoe will weaken the body in that area so it allows the foot and the ankle to be lazy and floppy because we've got this marvelous efficient lever to use and so the foot so again as you're training the phasic muscles the quads and the glutes the hamstrings and the calves during all these repetitions to become more durable on the bike at the same time the foot and ankle is not receiving that training so it's getting weaker and so it's not necessarily that you maybe have super weak feet and ankles you probably have adequate to walk around is that ideal different question, but, um, it's the, the problem is the Delta between the foot and ankle stability and strength and the conditioning of the muscles above that in the chain, that's what causes the disruption in clean movement pattern. So I put someone in a lunge position, which is really a primal pattern way of looking at cycling. Cycling is a series of lunges from a hip hinged position fundamentally. And they can't lunge under body weight without dragging a foot or stepping awkwardly or holding their balance without you know, wiggling all over the place. So this tells me their lunge isn't really great. So it, it magnifies or illustrates the idea that their ankle isn't really up to the task of delivering the force that their hip is generating. Then I put them on the bike and see if their hips aren't stable. So those are the things, right?
0: I love that. I love that. So wobbly at the top and no ability to transfer that to the machine at the bottom. And now we've got an issue. I agree. Okay, we do need to take another quick break. There's more information coming at you. This is The Holistic Movement Show. We're lucky to have Colby Pierce. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Holistic Movement Show. We're live on Bold Brave TV. We have been so lucky to have Colby Pierce on the show with us. It's always a pleasure to talk to a true expert, and not only an expert, someone who's lived on the bike and with passion has stuck with his sport through thick and thin, right? And so if you are interested in finding out how to rebalance your body, because you like me love getting on the bike, Colby Pierce is the man for you. Colby bring us back into the bike. So we now have a great understanding of how things can go wrong. If it's your one and only place to find fitness. So now you bring your clients to the awareness, you show them how they need to be living, thoughtfully with awareness in their body on the bike. Bring us back now to rebalancing that athlete and putting them back into the sport.
1: Yes. So I have kind of been beating up on cycling a bit and um, I, I, I enjoy doing that because I think it changes people's paradigm a little. I like to make people think about the, the movement choices they're making and the life choices they're making and how they have implications, right? Being an adult is about taking ownership for your choices. Uh, I'm still working on that one myself. Um, So looking back at um, our whole big picture, I mean, to review, like we have the tendency to foster upper cross during cycling, right? That's that Mr. Burns posture. We have the capacity to um, condition our lower legs, but at the expense of the stability of our hips and the stability of our ankles, we also have a tendency to have adaptive muscle shortening. So that means our hamstrings are going to end up shorter or functionally shorter. That is, they can only generate force in a shortened position. Um, We have the same problem with the psoas is quite common, right? So-
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, did we? But yeah, Yeah. same thing through the front of the body here.
1: Front of the hip, yep, yep. So, you know, the first rule of athletics really is to know thyself. And if you're gonna ride your bike a lot, then having an understanding of what kind of postural compensations or movement patterns um, chronic movement patterns can result from this activity. Is the first step to taking adult responsibility for our choices, and then proactively making choices to offset that. You know, I can't promise you that you're going to have problems. There are probably mutants out there, like David Goggins or, you know, Jocko Willink, who could do whatever a thousand pushups in a day and never have an issue. But most of us are not that person, even though we like to imagine we are. So, it's a little bit of um, good insurance to work on your movement your your strength and conditioning program or your movement program to offset your love or passion for cycling
0: i love that and i just wanted to just um touch on one more thing because like you said most of us through covid were using indoor cycling right as you know because we we couldn't do anything else the your classic spin instructor uh position is very different from what we were just talking about right they tend to have this really flat back shoulders rolled back, really proud forward chest, but like we were talking about, they're not stabilizing a a bicycle. The bicycle is a fixed thing underneath them. And they also do all kinds of like dance stuff over the top of it. Talk to us about the, the, where does, where does the posture in the optimal posture meet, um, for the outdoor bicycle and therefore translating to the indoor.
1: Right. For me, optimal posture on the bike looks like, um, you know, typically on a drop bar bike, we have three handlebar positions. Drops, which is the low racing position. On the hoods, which is our most common riding position because you've got quick access to brakes and shifters. And then on the tops, which would be your climbing position typically. And so when a rider's in the hoods, they've got a fair amount of hip flexion. And my perfect world is to have a straight line from ear to hip with the shoulders falling in that line. Um, and that means that line is straight and the spine is more or less paralleling that line, right? Gentle flexion. I don't have a problem with acute flexion. You know, that's really focused in one vertebra that feels yucky to me. I really encourage a rider of work around that, or I work with their position to try to influence that. Um, so that's one aspect. Another is relatively neutral shoulders, not excessively elevated or protracted reaching towards those bars, right? Consciousness of this final posture, not too much. Uh, verticalization i call it of the face i don't know if that's a real word but <laughs> i like it.
0: It, it, it it draws a picture
1: <laughs> I, to, I want people to drop the chin a bit and roll the eyes especially when they're trying to go fast and they're getting low because that's the time when you get so much tension in the neck because you have excessive cervical extension right and then working on your core exercises to help with stability of the hips right and orientation of the rib cage over the pelvis that's really important. And then complementing you all your time in those rigid cycling shoes, those stiff cycling shoes with some activities that will strengthen your feet and ankles, right? Whether that's standing and doing squats on a BOSU ball or walking outdoors in your five finger shoes or just walking barefoot, you know, go for a barefoot walk. The only rules are don't freeze, burn or puncture your feet. Otherwise you're good to go and it's watch out for dog bombs if you're at the park, right? so. We want to strengthen our feet and use them to build that healthy tripod and that healthy arch i
0: love it okay uh Colby, everybody wants to work with you now where do we find you and who what kind of athletes are you working with these
1: days uh, i work with athletes of all ability levels you know some people have a little trepidation when they walk through my door they think that i only work with pros um actually the opposite is true i work with people of any ability you know people are just learning how to ride a bike to people been riding it for years and now have some sort of uh, niggle that has caught up with them. So frequently people come through my door who are a bit of the land of misfit toys. That is they've been to a few fits and they haven't found a solution, uh, or they've been struggling to diagnose and prescribe, uh, solutions to their own problems for years. And I don't do that either. I'm not a doctor. Don't play one on the internet. However, I do my best to help them. So anyone who rides a bike is welcome through my door. Um, anyone who's passionate about cycling, if you're riding a bike and you're doing it safely, you're doing it right. So.
0: I love that. And Colby, what is the name of your website?
1: Uh, It's colbypierce.com, cleverly hidden under uh, my first and last name. That's C-O-L-B-Y-P-E-A-R-C-E.com. You can go there and read a bit about my fitting services. You can find a scheduling tool. You can email me if you're super confused or just have questions. And I've also got a podcast as well. It's called Cycling in Alignment. And I unpack a lot of these concepts there
0: living in alignment with colby pierce this has been a wonderful episode of the holistic movement show thank you so much colby for sharing all of that passion and knowledge with us we're the better for it this is the holistic movement show we'll see you next week one o'clock on monday thank you so much
1: epilogue i want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of cycling in alignment the purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard-fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse, as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society. Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, this is sport we're talking about. And while sport is training for life, it's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not, to be clear, to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.